Hi guys, I'm Chris. And I'm Mike. And welcome back to this week's No Limits, a Mitrap podcast. How you doing this week, Mike? I'm great, man. The weather is coming around, so I was able to sneak in some golf these last couple it's of days. It's golf season. It's coming. It's time. And this weekend, we've got some plans. Getting the boys back together. First round of 2020. Already booked, yeah. All right. I, I'll give just an update to the listeners. Like I'm not going to be able to do as much golf as last summer. It's very <laughs> sad. I know you guys are all very sad for me. Uh, or maybe you're happy that I'm actually doing some work and not just golfing all the time. And I won't be talking about my 50 rounds of golf this this summer. So, um, But yeah, no, I'm excited to get out with you and some other college buddies. So that'll be fun. Yeah, I'm going to see Dr. Furman in the flesh. In the flesh. <laughs> well, we've got a lot planned here on Mitch Rat Pod. We've had a great run of guests recently. You yes. know, so... Big thank you, David Brown, Chris Albanese. They were awesome guys. I hope last week you enjoyed our talk about the Secret Service and how it relates to some of the Vince Flynn storylines and in particular Active Treason. We met some amazing folks in the Thrillerverse. So big shout out to you guys. Thank you, David. Thank you, Chris. Yeah. And I think, you know, the stuff we talked about with Chris um, in terms of protection uh, definitely is involved in this book as well for sure. protect and defend. We're going to be talking about here in a minute. Uh, and also we got a chance to, you know, in a couple of weeks, we're going to be dropping a pod with another author who was directly involved with executive protection of a director of the CIA. So that was really cool. Look forward to that. Yeah. It's been nice just talking to like these other people, other podcasters, uh, people in the field, especially like our time with Brian and the com, the guys over at the com majors, uh, highly recommend go, go and listen to them. Listen to our pod that we were on, um, Tinker Taylor soldier spy. Um, yeah, I'm just, we're, we're living our best life, our best Mitraff life here. That's right. You know, who else is living his best life? Since we're doing another book, we have to give a shout out to Stephen Hendricks again on Facebook. Oh, man. He's reading a lot now. <laughs> and he's drinking a lot, apparently, with all these <laughs> <Yeah>. drink pairings. <laughs> They're always full, so. Well, he posted one day. I think I might have said this. I asked him, I was like, man, how do you rip through all these books? And how do you rip through all these bottles? And he's, <laughs> I think it was his father or a family member who owned a bar. And so they had some extra supply. And he uses the bar supply or whatever's left over at home, something like that. So he's got a wide uh, liquor cabinet. Excuses, excuses. (laughs) He's really just an alcoholic. Uh, (laughs) And he's a -a thriller-aholic. Thriller-aholic. Definitely a thriller-aholic. Aren't we all? Yes. (laughs) Can't put him down. Once you start, you know, you can't just have one. No, you can't just have one. You got to keep going, man. So... (laughs) Well, his, his pairing for Protect and Defend was... Ye old Smirnoff, number 21, OG. Ooh. I can see like that, the blue, because he likes to match it with the covers, right? Not necessarily yeah. like what's representative of the book, but that blue with the with the red definitely is similar to the blue and red cover. Actually, you know, we're not going to talk about all the covers here, but I do like the cover of this book. It's, it's kind of nice. Yeah. Um, there's two uh, that come to mind, and we'll talk about the covers next episode, next week, but two that come to mind I really like, so... Unfortunately, the cover might be my favorite part or thing about protect and defend, but <laughs> Oh man, get ready guys. Shots fired. Get ready. So <laughs> let let's just all right, what do we talk about today, Mike? Yeah, I mean we'll jump right in. We're doing part one, protect and defend. 
the first roughly, I think we said 28 chapters or so. So we'll go through the first uh, half of the book and uh, we'll wrap up giving you our take on it. We'll talk about some themes that stood out to us and we get introduced to some new characters and we dispense of some old characters. So we'll be giving you the rundown of Protect and Defend Part 1. So we got to kick off the pod, our first, our book pod, by giving us a Goodreads score. This one had a pretty high one, uh, 4.32, slightly higher than the last couple ones we've we've done, which is very interesting. Very interesting. You know, I should start putting out um, how many total people actually rate that score. Because like Consent to Kill had like a slightly lower one, but it had like way more reviews than other books you know like so if you like weight it versus how many people review it we should figure out some sort of mitrap pod number to calculate in do you think we can get a better metric i don't know like amazon reviews or something because i'll I'll start yeah i'll I'll, I'll start looking at because like they're all literally around 4.3 or 4.2 like the high 4.2s you know exactly or like when a new book comes out like um yeah, I need to go back and look at what uh, Total Power is now. Because when Total Power came out, it was like a 4.45, 4.5 almost at times. And that was just because it was coming out. It was people like me and you sure, rating it on Goodreads. You know, the, the early readers who loved this book. So, and, you know, maybe Goodreads isn't a good metric. Maybe we should switch it up. But, yeah. So, it's just interesting to see that this book, which we... I wouldn't give this a 4.3. I mean, I would on Goodreads. I would give it a 5, but... Yeah, anyways, we'll, we'll get into that in the future, but sure. or next pod. But let me just go right into the summary. This is a long one here. So, in Protect and Defend, the action begins in the heart of Iran, where billions of dollars are being spent on the development of a nuclear program. No longer willing to wait for the international community to stop its neighboring enemy, Israel launches one of the most creative and daring espionage operations ever conceived. The attack leaves a radioactive tomb, an environmental disaster in the middle of Iran's second largest city. An outraged Iranian government publicly blames both Israel and the United States for the attack and demands retribution. Privately, Iran's bombastic president wants much more. He wants America and Israel to pay for their aggressive aggression with blood. Enter Mitch Rapp, America's top counter terrorism operative. Oh, they always put the top counter terrorism <laughs> superlative in there. Used to deploying deception, Rap sees an opportunity where others see only Iranian reprisals that could leave thousands of Americans dead. Rap convinces President Joss Alexander to sign off on a risky operation that will further embarrass the Iranian government and push their country to the brink of a revolution. As a part of the plan, CIA Director Irene Kennedy is dispatched to the region for a clandestine meeting with Assad Ashani, her dun, Iranian dun, dun. counterpart. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, let's... Let's just jump right into the story. We're not yeah. going to really do a uh, a plot. Um, or we're not going to go chapter by chapter on this one. And to me, the theme that I came up with for this book and this first part of the book was, uh, it just came to mind, it was like slow burn. Mm. It, it's a, and you, you mentioned it before we were getting on, that this book, we felt like it doesn't quite have a plot until maybe halfway, a little more than halfway, a little more than 60% of the book, do we actually get into a plot? They're just like these sort of dispersive events, a lot of jumping back and forth, back and forth. Um, and right when we start off the book, we start with, you know, and I'm not, all right, 
I don't want to totally crap on this book, but there, <laughs> there thing, and there are things from this book that I think are great. It is a strange uh, opening, though. It, it it is, and uh, I like the killing of Stu Garrett, which in in and of itself, this story of Rap tracking him down. You know, obviously, bit right off the bat from last book, Irene said we have to wait a year. Yeah, we can't get him. So Rap's been watching. They find out a way to. You know, they have an opening when he takes his bot, this his boat on this yacht trip, and raps with Rivera, and you get these like vibes of oh, is rap gonna ha- is this she's gonna be the new girlfriend like yeah. going forward? But spoiler alert, she's not. There are romantic <laughs> relations in the yes, first chapter. There are, there are. Um, but yeah, like we just jump right into this whole, you know, rap killing Stu Garrett, which the actual like kill of Stu Garrett I thought was really cool and sure. you know rap like sneaking in into the water but I felt like this whole thing was this should have been the epilogue of the last book yep you said that you said that when we finished Act of Treason and I'm gonna agree with you now I didn't at first but this whole scene would have been a great epilogue when Kennedy says wait a year well I wanted to see what rap was doing you know during that year and how's he gonna get him instead when when okay well we also talked about this is part of the run of books which i really didn't remember i actually may have read this one probably just one time this might have been it gets one of those very books foggy yeah, yeah this stretch of books gets very foggy to me for yeah some reason. i don't know why the next two too yeah it's true and it threw me off right not remembering much about the plot i was like wait rap and rivera are they a thing for very long i know he's had a few flings here and there but the book was almost opening up like, oh, here's his new partner, both in operations and also in bed. But then that's the only time she's mentioned. And they're in Costa Rica. I'm like, oh, crap. Have we really seen rap in Central America? What does he do in Costa Rica? I don't really remember. And then he's just at a resort, makes the kill, and he's out. Costa Rica never comes up again. Right. So I'm like, it was kind of throwing me off to have this as the opening. I'm like, wait, I thought this book was about Iran and... Later on with, you know, the events of Kennedy in uh, Mosul in Iraq, I'm like, yep, I remember that. Yep, yep, yep. But this whole sleeping with Rivera in Costa Rica, I didn't remember any of it. And to open the book that way, it definitely was not a memorable scene. It just I, I it, like the kill, though. You're right. I like the kill, but it just threw me off. And I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a writer, so maybe I shouldn't, uh, you know, be sure. cr- telling people how to write books. But to me... That the the whole the, I guess that my problem with this book is just how disjointed it feels at times. Yeah. Um, and we like to be critical. You know, we like to bring a little bit more of a, or not just we love these books, but absolutely you know, we like to we like to critique them. So absolutely, yeah, we're really digging in. And and one more thing about the Stu Garrett kill, there there was a couple of lines that both stood out to me and you, both in terms of the actual killing of Stu Garrett and as well as like a, a line that we think you know directly relates to our, our guest from last week's pod uh this quote about Rivera do you want to you want to share those with us Mike yeah so rap reflects a little bit about the nature of you know black ops that he's running these unapproved missions without congressional support and Vince Wright's quote ego and political ambition trumped national security for far too many elected officials. He was going to squeeze the life out of Stu Garrett, and he knew from experience that he wouldn't feel the slightest bit of compassion. 
I just I just love that because it encapsulates yes. who rap is, you know, and basically what he does. So for a new reader, starting off with a description like that is You know, I was gonna actually save this for the next pod because we hadn't talked about this chapter, but that directly relates to a quote that I thought stood out, which I don't I don't have the I I, I listened to an audiobook, so I, I don't have the actual quote. But it was this line where Rap says he, he gets he gets pleasure in taking out the bad guys who are inflicting pain on, on people and who do these horrible things. And I, that one, not only did it clarify to yeah. me who, what Rap's character is, and he doesn't, you know, we, we've, there's been a couple times where Flynn is like, or at least once where he had this weird, where we thought he was saying that Rap actually enjoyed like sadistic. Like sadistic no, that's not, he's not sadistic. But he does enjoy, or you know, taking these guys out who are so, you know, bad. And you know, he says if it has to be yeah. from a long shot, okay. If it has to be a bomb, you know, or you know, a, a dropping an air bomb, so be it. But he prefers face to face, so he can look the motherfuckers in the eye yep. and know that their puny existence is almost over. And it, he looks Stu Garrett and is yeah. in the eye and. <laughs> So he could see the reaction in his face. He's like, that recollection when Stu's like, who are you? Oh, shit, you're mid-trap. You know, you're going to kill me. <laughs> yep. I think, though, because lines like that that was in this book struck me, too, because it kind of might make the pendulum swing the other direction, where we're always saying, you know, rap is actually pretty noble. He's not just, you know, some cold-blooded killer. But at the same time, the way I see it is the pleasure from the kills is more because he's thinking about the victims that, or the potential victims yes, that he just protected. The actual will be killing is not the pleasure. Exactly. Whereas it's the satisfaction of knowing you're making a positive change on the world and on somebody's life who this, this animal could have, you know, right. gotten to. Right. Speaking of that though, and you mentioned it um, about the secret service. I really like this dichotomy or this you know kind of you're paralleling two things of the secret service and someone like rap you know an assassin for the cia essentially and it's even maybe this is a literary device vince is going for he's talking about it while they're in bed together in costa rica <laughs> so it's pretty interesting to to parallel these two things and he can't say it better than vince wrote it so let me just read you this quote showing how different Rap's job is from someone like Agent Rivera, who he bought along on this mission. Quote, Give someone like that, a Secret Service agent, hundreds of hours of training, and they will efficiently and without hesitation use lethal force to stop a gun-wielding presidential assassin. Ask one of those same agents to kill an unarmed official, and you have now moved into the unknown. Even if guilt is confirmed, and the punishment fits the crime. Few law and order types relish the role of executioner. The agent is no longer being asked to react to a threat. An entirely new skill set is needed. Essentially, you are asking a person, who has only played defense, to now line up on the other side of the ball and perform with the same level of proficiency. To change one's role so quickly is nearly impossible. To kill cleanly and make it look like an accident was the domain of the rare tested assassin. Right. And Rivera is not that. 
And just to draw a parallel to another character that I think most of our readers are going to, uh, uh, most of our readers do enjoy, but you know, Scott Harvath, that's the whole reason why he leaves the secret service. And he mentions it multiple times, you know, or Brad Thor mentions it multiple times in his books, this idea of having to move from defense to offense and how you can't, by being a secret service agent, you, you're, you're not trained to do that kind of thing. And Flynn perfectly parallels it parallels that notion here in that quote yep and so ultimately what that means is he sidelines rivera he doesn't wake her up he leaves her a radio uh in case he needs her for backup but he goes out and hits Stu garrett on his own thinking if she leaves one loose end untied she's not as well trained it's not her wheelhouse she's great at what she does just like the secret service is great at what they do but he can't risk that right now you know it's an assassination it's a black op and the risk is too high. It makes me, you know, I like the Scott Harveth comparison. It makes me also think about Skip. We know Skip McMahon. He's got some skills. And we know Skip McMahon is a G. But sometimes Rap realizes Skip doesn't do the same things he does. Skip has different rules to play by with Director Roach. And so, you know, sometimes he has a different role to play. And he doesn't go off and do the things with Mitch that Mitch does. And... uh that's okay. I think what Rap's saying is, you know, your secret service, you you play defense and you do it better than anybody in the world, but that's not who I am. And then that's foreshadowing a little bit right. the protection detail right. of Kennedy, is. which is going to play a there, key role. No, there, there's foreshadowing in this book play, played a role. So. Interwoven into these chapters, I think it's about the first six, we also get... A storyline I really like, and unfortunately, it's rather short, and the yes. character who plays a main role in it doesn't come back in the rest of the book. But if we're talking about a highlight, there's a sleeper agent inside of Iran. I, yes. And the way his backstory is developed, it's like quintessential Flynn. It's, it's one of the things Vince does best. Yes, his rap kills are great. Yes, his political maneuvering in DC, working back channels in politics is great. Yes, his, you know, committee hearings where rap can just go off on politicians and senators are great. But something else Flynn does exceptionally well is paint a backstory. There's a sleeper agent who is by birth uh, Jewish and Israeli, but was raised in, I believe it was southeast Iran during the days of the Shah. And so speaks fluent Farsi, uh, is very cultured in Persian ways. And so even though... His family is Jewish-Israeli. Growing up in Iran, because his father was a diplomat, unfortunately, with the, sh with the Shah and the takeover, he gets executed when this man is—well, this guy is a young boy. His family flees, and he gets to grow up in Israel, ends up working for Mossad. And now as an older man—I think he was 66 of the story— he's ready for his final act. You know, He's ready to make the ultimate sacrifice, give back— get vengeance on the Iranians and the uh, regime that overthrew the Shah. And so he gets planted as a janitor in the second largest Iranian city, which is also where they've built a nuclear reactor. They built it right next to a major population center to, you know, hedge their bets against any American or Israeli aggression. This guy was also pretty high up in Mossad, right? Yeah. Like just based on the backstory. So, yeah, 
the positives. You mentioned the positives. I wanted more of this. Of that I guy. wanted more of, of that guy. I wanted more of like him being a daily janitor. Yes. You know, and coming across, you know, his interactions with the. Obviously, he liked that one guy who, which he stole like the plans from. I'm blanking. Yep. There, that's another thing. There's a oh, lot of names in this. He fixed um, the electronics. Yes. There's a lot of names in this. Um, there's a lot of characters in this book that I just I couldn't keep everything straight. I, I probably should be better at that. But yeah, I wanted, I just found myself wanting more of, of that. And I love that story. Like I, I, you could build up that explosion. I felt yeah. like with at least a couple more chapters. I don't know. That's just totally. How I felt. Yeah, I agree with that. But the espionage is so well crafted because this yes. older man as a janitor is secretly a really high level well-trained Mossad agent and he ingratiates himself with the leadership at the nuclear facility by fixing electronics you know they think he's like some guru because he just starts tinkering with the light bulbs and the light switches and fixing tvs and radios and so people start bringing their appliances from home to him to get him to fix yeah and so he's you know indispensable even though he's just a janitor who no one's going to remember that you know his his importance he ends up being well liked by all the guys. One one of the higher ups has him over to his house. He invites right. him into his house, and he's just a lowly janitor. I just think that's a perfect cover. And talking slow burn, what a good fit because his whole life has been leading up to this. You know, from growing up in Iran, adopting Persian culture and language, and so even as an old man now, the way he's going to get revenge is a slow burn. That was pretty much his life story. It's pretty cool. Yeah. And like the little little tidbits that you know, because he's like so he's a curious guy. That's his like persona that he, and I guess he also is in life. But that's what his persona that he went with with the whole you know tinker guy who fixes things. When he went into his boss's facility and he had like the plans out, you know, just by glazing at him, the boss didn't think that oh he's trying to get steal information. The guy just said oh this guy is someone who would want to like see these things because he's a builder and type stuff. So then he yeah. started to explain the whole thing and he got, was able to get pictures and he was able to use his cover of, you know, to bring in these tiny little bombs and put them into the, yeah. the lighting and that whole like thing where he, he said it clicked in his mind, you know, he just kept playing the nine 11, nine 11, sadly the, the, you know, the falling of the, the twin towers in his head. And he's like, that's how I'm going to bring this down. Yeah. You know, it's not going to be a bunker buster. It's, you know, not going to, no one would want to drop a nuclear bomb in Isfahan, you know, on the, the second largest city in, in Iran onto, you know, not only with the fallout of the bomb, but, you know, you're then blowing up a nuclear facility. Uh, so, you know, not even Israel would do that. Uh, yeah. And it just, it led to this. It was a great plot. Great. You know, yeah. and then boom, the bomb goes off. And yeah. Chapter six or seven, I think the yeah. facility implodes. And at the last minute, this guy, this gender, I think Adam Shoshan was his, his actual Shoshan, Israeli yeah. name. He sees someone who kind of freaks him out on tour of the facility. And it's Commander Mukhtar, who's a general for Leader. Hezbollah. Hezbollah. And he's like, what the heck is that guy doing here touring a facility with my boss? And so he actually jumps the gun and wants to blow the thing early, hoping he can also take him out. Take and before Hezbollah can make any moves, you know, maybe this guy's here to pick up a nuclear weapon or nuclear material and bring it back. Because, you know, Hezbollah is basically an Iranian proxy, right? They are a Lebanese-based right. group, but 
their the the accusation is being funded by Iran and provided technology by Iran and so basically Iran uses them as their terrorist wing you know around the world is the uh is the narrative here and so that freaks right. out Shoshan and he wants to blow the thing right away and along with Mukhtar is this character that we meet Ashani who we spend a lot of time in his head we do and I actually I really like this character and I think he symbolizes at least what I thought Flynn was trying to get across was you know people in Iran who you know don't agree with this crazy you know regime and sort of side with you know bringing together having this a good relationship with its allies especially the United States I don't I don't know how much he wants to actually be an ally of Israel but yeah so we meet Ashani and he's obviously walking with Mukhtar. And he's also, because they got, they got in the elevator when the bomb went off, he's able to, he lives. and He saves him. It's, yeah. he's, and he's the one who saves Mukhtar. And there's that little line where he says, if I saved his life, but if I had known by saving his life six weeks later, he was going to cause me so much problems, I probably would have let him fall. And it, that little line was like, ooh, something, something spicy is coming. You know, yeah. something, some, I, I really, I like that. That was a good do foreshadowing you, there. Do you think, I don't think Flynn, as much as other thriller writers, relies on foreshadowing. That's why that line no. jumped out to me. Because it did. It doesn't often happen in these books, which is a good thing. You know, some thriller authors their craft is the foreshadowing. Like you end yes. a chapter and you need to keep going. I feel like for Flynn, you end a chapter because you're generally interested in the story. Like an Iranian um, nuclear reactor blew up and they're blaming right. the US. Like I want it's to more know more. So you don't need a little one-liner to get your attention. Flynn, Flynn is better with, I mean, it, would you consider like cliffhangers as a, as a type of foreshadowing? Uh, maybe. Like, But he's very good at ending chapters on a quote unquote cliffhanger, not, not all of them are bombs or literally bombshells, you know, but a lot of them are, you know, these sort of endings to things that make you want to proceed to the next chapter or you want to find out what, what's coming. Right. Yeah. So as opposed to, yeah, like you said, yeah, that, I, that's funny that you, you said that because it also stuck out to me. Like he doesn't often say something like that, that no, it's going to not take place in the direct in the next chapter, but you know, the next 30 chapters that that doesn't come into play yeah let's let's talk a little bit because you brought it up about the iranian leadership and the different yes. dynamics because i think you're spot on about one we know vince always does his research when he describes yes. an organization and and you know the different motivations behind it he usually he usually is tuned in to something reflecting you know very accurately what's going on in the real world and I think three characters embody this dynamic real well. So you have Ashani, who you mentioned, who's the intelligence minister. So like yes. Irene Kennedy's, you know, counterpart. And he, while sincerely patriotic and committed and, and loves his country, he realizes that doesn't mean antagonistic towards the U.S. Always in combat with the U.S. in, you know, right. in, in the media, in the press and trying to, you know, shame them. He kind of sees detente and kind of, you know, if we chill out with each other, that ultimately in the long game is good for the Iranian up, people yeah. and economy. Like he's open to that, but that doesn't mean he loves his country any less. And I think that's a strain in every country and particularly the Middle East that 
diplomacy and particularly U.S. efforts to reach out and, and any sort of peace process needs to elevate those voices. Definitely. You know? Definitely. And the counter to that. Yeah. He's a pragmatist. And the counter to that is who is the flash in the pan, you know, celebrity of the moment. Everybody loves him. He seems as very strong leader is the Iranian president, Amatullah. But he's also the one who's most radicalized. He constantly yes. wants to go against America. He even in the second half of the book is going to attack America, you know, um, in, a, in a certain way. But he's very hardliner. And that, too, is what we see in the real world as well. You know, these talking heads going on TV and saying whatever it takes to rile up the people and, you know, say America's the great Satan. And that Amatola character as president embodies that, I feel. And I don't know, maybe you could touch on this as a, I mean, you're a history teacher. You focus mainly on geography. But then there's also this the supreme leader, right, who mainly... He obviously, go, you know, listens to everybody, but he tends to go with Amatullah's like thinking. But he also like tends. He, Flynn makes this, a couple of um, lines where he says that the supreme leader would tend to like focus on like religious stuff and really try to insulate himself from yeah. any sort of fallout that Amatullah would have. And it's so there's this very interesting. I, I don't know. Can you explain a little bit more about like Iranian? You know, dude how, i'll be how, honest how i works. don't know anything <laughs> yeah i thought it was very interesting that they have this a head of religious state and then obviously they have yes. a president and then obviously then they have what is what would resemble a typical like the united states where you have all these other leaders yeah. of ministries you know, similar to i mean the only Britain, thing right? i do know is when it comes down to it the supreme leader who in this case is another character naziri is uh the highest authority right, uh, right. head of state uh, commander-in-chief like is the ultimate authority and that's why and in the end of the book ashani convincing nasiri to be on his side is is, is going to play such a role but at the same time that person may not have the day-to-day -day sway in the transactional piece of government and the transactional piece of running the ministries than uh the president would have or right. or the other cabinet ministers would have the supreme leader while the ultimate commander and authority is more symbolic, I would think, as, you know, not a, not really symbolic because they do have, have a lot of authority, but they also are expected to, you know, toe the party line. They're supposed to put on a face for the country. They're really in the media. Like, right now I can't tell you who the Iranian president is or any of the ministers, you know. Right. See you, Soleimani. But, um, you know. <laughs> there was a Soleimani. I mean, I, I, I know it's a pretty common name. So there was a Soleimani character that meets with Ashani in this book. In this book. And I think he was defense minister too. Yeah, I know. He was a defense minister. That's what like stood out to me. Yeah. I was like, oh, interesting. Interesting. But yeah, I think the whole purpose of the, having the president and Ashani there is to show this dichotomy between yes. two factions that one could argue are, we're getting really deep political in this podcast, but uh, one could argue are tearing apart, you know, various countries in the Middle East and you would need to if you want to have some sort of stability, you definitely need to have people like Ashani rise up and be the voice of reason. Yeah. Um, so I, I it, you know, you all, Flynn always likes to give us a geopolitical, a political lesson. I, I feel like sure. not always, but the, oftentimes he will throw that in and purposely he shares his viewpoints and what he thinks is you know, the right way forward. And I, I enjoy that, I, you know, because yeah. that's one of these things. These books are 
fun because it's about a badass killer who's going to take down save the day but it, this book has layers these books have layers and you can learn history politics different kind of things i mean obviously you don't want to get all your politics from vince Lynn books but <laughs> or all your history lessons but anyways whatever you learned in school is wrong pick up some thrillers you'll be good to go you'll be good to go you'll be good to go also everything i just said about the iranian power structure complete be complete bullshit and i don't know what i'm talking about so <laughs> listeners if you have any semblance of experience or expertise in the field or know anyone who does we are welcome to invite you onto this podcast and set the record straight so please yeah, uh, I... knock me around a little bit I kind of put you on the spot there, Mike. Sorry. I won't do that next time. I'll ask you to do the research ahead of time. So I teach geography, man. I haven't done actual like hardcore history um, years, probably a decade actually, teaching uh, geography. Well, I guess geography is current events and world affairs. So Yeah, that's what I was asking because geography is also current events. So Yeah. Yeah. Sixth grade, though, geography and current events. There's not much substance there. I'll be honest with you. This is true. This is true. Kids, it's the Mediterranean Sea. One D, one T, two R's. Okay? Two R's. Okay. And that takes a week. And that takes a full <laughs> entire week of virtual learning. And that's all we learned. And that's all you that's all you learned. Oh man. Not even like what countries touch the Mediterranean? Oh dude, that's that's seventh grade. <laughs> Just kidding. Oh man. What what are they teaching these kids? No, actually, man, my assignment this week. I'm challenging them. I'm giving them a clickable online game of all 47 countries of Europe. I'm talking. I'm expecting a lot. I'm talking San Marino, Andorra, Liechtenstein, Luxembourg. They got to have them all. So it's time you're, to get serious uh, you're, now. Your, your New York accent's really coming out there, Mike. <laughs> all right, man. We are the Mitch Rap Podcast. So I think there's yes. a book we should be talking about. Yes. What's it called again? So it's called Protect and Defend. <laughs> oh, that's right. So, okay. which we're not going to get into protection until the second half. So, <laughs> the rest of this book is this back and forth. Or, sorry, the rest of the first half of this book is this back and forth between uh, the United States and the players there, whether it be, you know, Rap coming back and talking to the president, uh, Irene talking to the president, talking to the Secretary of State coming up with this plan to be like, all right, obviously Israel raps like, obviously Israel did this and he goes and we get this one little cameo. I'm going to cameo of yeah, Ben Friedman right. chapter coming in and rap intimidates him by telling him he has a spy <laughs> in his, uh, in yeah. And he's like, how did you get that information? You know, and essentially revealing to him. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think rap says to him something like, Oh, thanks for taking care of, you know, Iran's nuclear program. We owe you one. And Ben yeah. Freeman's like, what? What are you talking about? We had nothing to do with it. And Rap's like, oh, yeah, I mean, no problem. We would have done it ourselves. But since you guys did it, that's great. <laughs> that was... And Rap doesn't know. <laughs> no, he's just taking a gamble. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then on the other side is obviously all these players we were just talking about in Iran and, and how they're blaming us and how they're going to get back at us. And so... The two plans that we get are from America. Rap knows that Israel does, or has a strong inkling that Israel did this. And his plan is to recruit these various 
anti-Iranian factions, specifically like the MEK and what was the other one? Uh, yeah, the there was PM, another name. The, PM, the PMOI, you know, and a lot of them are like of Kurdish descent or have a lot of Kurds in them. So these people that are historically like factioning and fighting against like the Iranian regime, uh, he wants to get them involved. And at the same time, have the Secretary of State go to the UN and condemn, say that we're not the ones, because over in Iran, their plan is to blame this on the US, blame this on, on Israel, and they come up with these various demands, which we'll, we'll touch at a, at the very end. And so the Secretary of State, Wicca, is saying, you know, this is not us. And then she actually, they show a video, which was perhaps plan to have the the ME a leader of the MEK or supposed leader uh, of the MEK claim that they actually did this attack were responsible yeah. were responsible yeah can i ask and so do you there's buy just this build up of these two things do you buy it because i i'm kind of torn on this where it makes sense that these various groups that have been isolated from their home country, Iran, and actually want to team up with someone like Anashani to take back their country eventually. I, I believe that they're living in exile in Iraq or southeastern Turkey or perhaps Syria. Now they're caught up in that conflict. Or they're working with the Kurds. You know, they're embedded with them. Right. I buy that those groups exist. You know, a lot of people who in the revolution in 79, you know, had to flee and still long for a moderate Iran. But my... My issue is, would they be so quick to claim this attack? I feel like they'd be really vulnerable. Of course, someone like Rap and other CIA elements are giving them their back. Like this guy, Masood, who actually right. films the video, is really close with Rap. You can tell they've been in the shit together. And, you know, they have each other's backs and the backing of, you know, the U.S., and we've been defending the Kurds, you know, for so long. And But at the same time, I think they can get squashed like a bug. And like Iran is clearly on the warpath. They're right. out to get somebody. If I were the leaders of these groups, I'd be like, America, you might be able to take that and play those games. We're going to get crushed by them. So I don't know if they'd be so quick to claim responsibility for an attack of that magnitude. Yeah, that's, that's an interesting point. I, I didn't think about that because that you're putting these two groups who obviously are on the fringes, right? And they're going to now be public enemy number one by claiming exactly. responsibility. And it's not like they have, like, sure, rap is there to, you know, get, but does, do they have the full support of the United States? Like if Iran was to go in and want to try to get, would, is the United States willing to wage war for these people? Exactly. I'm going to say probably not. And they know that. Probably they know not. we'd be wishy-washy. Especially yeah. after Iraq, so, they know we're not going to commit to a long-term battle and really get in the trenches and defend them. So I don't think that they would go along with this. Same. But it, this Masood is gung-ho to make the video, put it out there. He's like, my people are going to love it. Uh, and I, I, I think that's interesting because Masood doesn't seem to be... We got a very brief backstory on him. Something like uh, we're with Stillwell, who I like Stillwell. This like CIA station chief. Um, he's an interesting little you know yeah. side character. But yeah, essentially, like he takes over this. You know, once uh, Saddam was obviously removed from Iraq, he takes over 
essentially takes over all of uh, Saddam's like businesses, right? And yep. is an arms dealer and whatever. So he's obviously like a top top shot guy. And he says like I speak for the MEK. So, but is he the actual leader of the MEK, or like he's just so powerful that he can speak for them? Like I, th- that's what makes me think that these. I don't know. It that little part is very unrealistic. Yeah, yeah, and it makes for an okay story. I mean, I can see. Why yeah, no, it makes for an okay story. Yeah, there are other things within the Flynn universe and these stories that I I buy a lot easier. And you know, like I never, I rarely think about these stories and go like, ah, it's probably not realistic. And this is one of the moments where I just wasn't sure. Well, I guess we could transition to the other side. How realistic do you think the demands that Iran put out in the sense of they say, all right, you did this. We want one. They want like a bunch of money. They want money. Two, they want Israel to like open up their nuclear program to be investigated. And then they drop the bomb, which, you know, the big one where we're sort of the chapter we're ending on is everyone's watching and they say, we're going to, we're giving you 48 hours to meet the previous demands or else we're going to shut down the Strait of Hormuz. Yeah. And and, and they were asking the entire U.S. Fifth Fleet to pull out of the Persian Gulf. Right. Right. Which is a crazy and, ask. And then Rep has this interesting, yeah, that's like a crazy demand. And right after, as Rap is like watching this, we get this brief little like, I don't know, exposition or explanation about how territory you know it's international waters like that's the definition of it you know anyone has right to that you, you know your property ends like 12 miles off the coast and, and so technically the Strait of Hormuz is, is nothing and iran won't do it but i i think in the that we get that line because rap is like everyone knows this but are they actually going to do this like they might do this yeah. they might this guy might just be crazy enough to do this you know another layer of this so those demands come out at the UN. Uh, it seems like they're garnering some support. Like we, there are hints of like, well, China and France and a few others are actually going to say, okay, you know, which one also didn't seem too believable to me, but that's a side note. So let's imagine this is actually getting attention. Let's go inside the mind of the new administration. You got to remember, because this is the component we haven't gotten to yet. President Alexander, you know, he's new. He's new at the job. This would really be his first test of international affairs. And we learned in the campaign that that was his weakness. That was, or at least his perceived weakness in the election. And with Mark Ross gone, we haven't heard much about if he takes um, foreign affairs seriously enough to, you know, appoint a vice president or someone else who will be more of a hawk on that. But thankfully, in his cabinet, I think... This is a thinking about winners and losers. We always talk about one of the winners is Secretary of Defense England. This dude, oh, yes, yeah, the he business is, guy. He's advising Alexander. You can't take any shit from these guys. You know, this is your first test. You want to come out strong. We're not caving to any demands. And so, I kind of like our first glimpse into the Alexander cabinet. Uh, they're going to also pretty, like Wicca. Secretary and then of Secretary Wicca. of State Wicca, she's going to have her moment at the UN pretty aggressively to push back on Iran's demands, and she does so with evidence. So yeah, you got Secretary of State Wicca, Secretary of Defense, I think it was England, right? Yes. And then, we didn't mention this, there's a few chapters where Alexander invites Rapp 
to meet with him privately and tells him, I'm pretty much giving you carte blanche. Alexander does tell Rap, I don't want you to stop these missions. I know about the Black Ops you and Kennedy run. I'm actually going to ask you to keep doing that and expand on those, which was a total curveball because we weren't sure what to expect with a new Alexander administration. He even mentions that, you know, Hayes told me to use you well or, yes. you know, uh, I forget the phrasing, but essentially, you know, and then he's like, maybe maybe use is a bad term. Deploy is a better term. But Deploy, I think that's the word. And, and Rap's like, where where is he going with this? And then as soon as he gets it, Rap's like, ooh, I like where he's going with this. He's going to actually use me to my full extent. Yeah. And we're still with Alexander, right? We still have him. He was in Total Power, right? Uh, he's running yeah, the Yeah, he's the one who... Um, What's his name is taking over for him? Yep, right, exactly. So, so essentially, so yeah, eight we're, years we're, between protect and defend and total power. Yeah, we're going to get a new president uh, in the next book. While I really enjoyed Hayes, I I, I think you know we're beginning to see here what's going to be a nice fruitful relationship between Alexander and uh, Mitch. So, yep, and Kennedy, she meets with Secretary of State Wicca, and they seem to have a very close bond about being strong women of power, you know, in power. And, um, they both seem to bond over that. And they both seem like they're very strong in their, in their characters and in their positions. So it's a good cabinet he's putting together. Uh, yeah, I like that. So Wicca, I think pours, pours them each brandy in like a teacup. And, uh, she says to the, to the old days. And then she's like, well, in the old days, they wouldn't have let let us out of the the secretary pool. So she's like, fuck the old days. (laughs) Fuck the old days. (laughs) Drink the peach brandy. That was, yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that was a good little uh, relationship to see. All right. So that's where we're going to wrap it up here for the first part of the book. Mike, just just give me your first final reaction to covering the first half of this book. What, what, What can you tell us? Um... I don't know if a story is really developed yet. I mean, I'm kind of interested in Iran's saber rattling and blaming us and we're going to defect the uh, deflect the blame and it, it it's okay. I don't know if it's a full-fledged story yet and plot that I buy into. And then, so the second half is going to need that, and boy, do we get it. So while we were a little negative here, I think the plot develops big time in the second half. The second half of this book can almost be a novella in itself, and I'd be okay with that. I'm still waiting for something. I'm still waiting, and we don't get much action. Sure, we get the facility blowing up. That was cool. I haven't seen Raps do anything yet. Stu Garrett's kill, but in terms of this plot line, I haven't seen the action. Right. Yeah, and I don't know. It could be just the nature about how we break down these. You know, we tip, we do these pods in two parts, but I've never felt like we were straining to, not straining, but like we never. The only other book that we were like this down on was Executive Power, but the whole first half we were down on that because it was it had two plots. You know, like the whole but first part of the story. book. Yeah, exactly. We had a lot of action in the first part, and then we had a whole different story in the second part. You know, it, whereas here it's, I don't know, maybe it could be just we we picked, you know, our our format doesn't doesn't do this book justice. But I, I felt, you know, it just felt a little disjointed, and 
this two this two deaths sort of just seem thrown in there. I I, I would have preferred it in the last book and more like elements of this book. I just wanted more. I found myself wanting more of. So yeah, I guess one more tease though to tease out the positives. There's a submarine plot that's coming. Totally new for Vince. I don't think we've seen much in terms of naval action, and the submarine storyline is pretty baller how it plays yeah. out. So next Remind episode. Me of like, uh... Yeah. Of the Tom Clancy novel, like The Hunt for Red October. Hunt for Red October, like, yeah. I'm thinking, uh, what was it, U571? Was that the movie? Yeah, that was the, the Widowmaker. Yep, yep, yep. I think to see Vince dabbling in that, and maybe we'll critique it because it wasn't a whole lot and it happened rather quickly, but while it was happening, it was awesome. So lots yeah. of good stuff, great content coming next week. And also next week, we got to talk about the covers, so... You know there's going to be some good discussions. Maybe some more positivity coming next week at you. Uh, I I wasn't that down today, but I just I felt like coming to this pod, and all of a sudden I was so down. Like, we'll 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 bring it back up next week. I promise. (laughs) Well, we couldn't do this without you guys, our our patrons, including our special operator Sherry F, our special agents George, Matt, Don, Dennis, Peggy, Catherine, Ray, Bridget, and Jeff. Please subscribe, rate, and review us using your favorite podcasting platform. And we would really like those five stars on Apple if you could do that. Uh, you can find us at mitrappod.com or using our Twitter handle at mitrappod. And as always, Joseph Mitch. Be Mitch. Just a disclaimer, this podcast is not affiliated with Vince Flynn, Kyle Mills, or Simon & Schuster, but thank you to them for bringing us the wonderful world of rap. And the music soundtrack is Gorilla Tactics by Raphael Crooks.